today. I'm your host, Lucas Alvarez, and I'm here with Med Meg Link, and together we're hosting March's AIJ Atlanta Insider. So we're really excited to have everyone here today. We're both part of the in-house committee for the Atlanta chapter, and I currently work at AIG, uh, AIG, GNA, a sustainability consultant helping companies navigate their way to sustainability. And I'm a freelance designer. Awesome. And we have a great interview today with, for you guys with uh, Brandy Barton. As a creative team lead, Brandy values a diverse team of talent and ideas, team feedback, individual work styles, and working collaboratively with her team through a creative process. She admits that her most recent role as National Director for Creative Services for Boys and Girls Club of America has been the most creatively rewarding and professionally challenging of her career. As a leader, Brandy's transformed the operations at BGCA's creative service department, modernizing the BGCA's creative team operations with a digital project portal, implementing a digital asset management tool, and bringing on a project manager to help her team navigate the 500 plus project creative services executes a year, which is a lot. We're going to get into each piece of that pretty shortly. She was ahead of the curve when it comes to the pandemic, which is cool. She helped negotiate working from home uh, for two days of the week, part of her hiring package. Uh, and she decided to promote working should be a benefit for everyone and begin preparing the creative team for a two-day telework model. This was before the pandemic. Uh, Brandy spearheaded a telecommunicating program for the marketing division that was approved one year ahead of the pandemic lockdown, which helped Boys and Girls Club of America shift into the new world uh, we are all now accustomed to. Something not easily accomplished in such a large, large organization and deserves massive credit for being able to oversee. Another thing we'll get into. But before we dig into the conversation with Brandy, we wanna thank our AIGA in-house committee. We're small but mighty. As you can see, we've added a few new members, Adam and Lily, so we're very happy to have them. Uh, if you work in in-house or have a vested interest in in-house and want to get involved, please feel free to reach out for me. Uh, I'm the chair of the board and the best person to talk to and be happy to figure out any place to, to have you on the team or however you can help in AIGA Atlanta. And with that, I'll hand it over to Amy Mangan for the Market Minute. Thank you, Lucas. Hello, everyone. Amy Mangan with Robert Half Marketing and Creative. And I'm excited to share some Atlanta focused news for you on the next slide. Um, so Visa has confirmed that they're expanding here in Atlanta. They're putting more office, office space in Midtown and planning to add about a thousand jobs in the um, creative digital marketing tech space. So pretty exciting. So keep your eye on them. And then we know Google's already here and actually they have um, 
they haven't confirmed, but the commercial real estate buzz is that they're adding um, more space and they're looking for um, a big place to add a lot of new jobs in addition to what they've already brought to Atlanta. So that's pretty exciting. So we'll keep our eyes on that in the coming months. Um, on the next slide, I'm going to share some, I apologize in advance. These are very like, this is content heavy slides, guys, just bear with me, but it's good stuff. Um, so Robert Half puts out the demand for skilled talent, usually every quarter or so. And it's really important right now and very relevant because we're seeing such incredibly rapid changes and shifts in the market literally month over month right now. It's pretty crazy. So on the view from the negotiating table, um, employers are telling us in, in this research why um, they feel like, or the feedback is that they're losing candidates when they're trying to hire. So 40% of the time, they're being told that the candidate wants more schedule flexibility than the company is able to provide to them. Um, and maybe that manager wants to give it, like we kind of touched on, but um, the company at large is not willing to. But in Brandy's case, she went to bat for her peeps and got some time, you know, years ago before that was even really a common thing. 35% um, of managers saying that it takes them too long to physically get through the steps of their process and the red tape internally to get the offer out to where they're finally coming to their preferred candidate with the offer. And that person says, thanks, but no thanks, I already accepted enough another role. Um, that's happening uh, all the time now. Um, there was an article just recently that Home Depot has actually uh, truncated their internal hiring process from several step interviews down to one so that they can actually get uh, that top talent hired and get the offers out quickly so they're snatching up the talent. Um, and then about a quarter of people said that the salary was not in line with the candidate's expectations. I expect that number to continue to go up because people's salaries we're seeing are rising pretty rapidly in this um, in this crazy market that we're in. On the candidate side, um, where are they kind of coming up with these salary numbers? So about half said that they're researching salaries online for that role, whether it be with various salary sites or like the Robert Half um, salary guide. I mean, there's a lot of different places you can research that online. A third of them said they're calculating that number based on their own personal financial needs and whatever that looks like for themselves and their family. And then a quarter of them said that they're discussing salaries with colleagues. Now that is becoming more common, um, especially as people are becoming aware of um, some of the inequities throughout salaries um, with companies. It used to be, you know, a big faux pas, but we're seeing it and hearing it more. So, um, you know, if you, you might want to, if you're a leader, take a look at the folks' um, salaries on your team and make sure everybody's paid um, in a pretty equitable way because they might be talking and then that could cause other issues down the road. Um, on the next slide, this is this is the one that's really, there's a lot going on here, guys. But um, in this demand for skilled talent report, there's a section that's specific to the creative and marketing space. So the very top um, bullet points are really the most um, requested and in-demand positions. This is alphabetical, but you'll be happy to see the graphic designers are on there, um, as well as some other roles that we're really seeing a lot of. These are national stats, by the way, but this is absolutely reflected in the Atlanta market. Um, and then 69% of senior marketing and creative managers are saying that they're planning to add new perm positions to their teams in the 
first half of, of 2022. So we're basically at the end of Q1. So we got like four months. There's a lot of hiring going on right now. It's, it's bonkers. Only 30% are saying they're only going to worry about vacated or backfilling roles. Many managers, though, on the whole, are not only adding new positions to their team, new stuff due to growth um, and additional projects, which is great, but also dealing with this great reshuffle and having to worry about backfilling positions, too. That work is falling somewhere. So, you know, a lot of um, folks, 78%, are saying that they're adding contract employees oftentimes to kind of reshuffle that workload so it's not falling on to the remaining uh, folks on the team uh, throughout the year this year. And then 94% said that it's incredibly challenging to find these people with the, the highest uh, challenge areas being uh, digital design and production, digital marketing, and then that like traffic, PM, and operations space um, has been really challenging to hire for as well. We're seeing that too, um, you know, locally. Um, their main initiatives and strategic priorities heading into 2022 are improving customer experience, improving brand messaging and imaging uh, image across all channels, and then implementing digital marketing strategies. So we're seeing that reflected in the roles that we're receiving on both the contract and the permanent uh, direct hire space as well. And then 85% of managers, I would argue it should be 100, are concerned about losing valued members of their team as they find other opportunities. Um, many folks are not even looking for jobs and they are getting hit up by recruiters from all over. Um, I mean, we're hearing from candidates who are like, somebody in Canada called me for a job that's based in, uh, it's 100% remote, the company's in Seattle. And like, we're hearing crazy stories like that all the time. So even if your people are not looking, people are like getting a hold of them, whether that be through LinkedIn or there's a lot of different means to get in touch with people, they are getting hit up. So it's really important that if you can make sure your folks are treated well, paid equitably, and um, that you make salary adjustments where you need to and provide and create flexibility and other benefits and perks where you can to hopefully hang on and retain the top talent that you do have. Um, the last thing that I'll just say at the bottom is so uh, more than half of uh, creative folks say that they're going to look for a new job if their company goes back on site and is not going to be offering remote. And then 92% of folks do feel really confident and good with their skills where they are in the market that they would feel okay looking for a new job um, at this time. So, you know, some interesting stats. If you want to see the rest of this report, it's a free resource. Certainly feel free to connect with me. My contact info is on the next slide. And uh, you can also reach me on LinkedIn too. And with that, I will send it back over to Lucas. Thanks. Awesome. It's good to continue to see a strong marketplace for graphic design in Atlanta specifically, and really cool to hear about Google and how they're continuing to expand. Uh, so anyways, with that, uh, I'd love to welcome, welcome Brandy. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Let's see. All right. Hello. So Hi, thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's been a pleasure discussing your journey and accomplishments so far in your design career. Uh, for some additional background for you, uh, you got your first degree in graphic design from the Art Institute of Atlanta. Uh, you worked on an in-house creative as a team leader for many larger companies, including Russell Athletic, Cooper Lighting, and Toto USA. Uh, and you pride yourself on diving deep into whatever product you're working for. So you understand the data, 
and the content in order to create a powerful design, which is really important and we'll be getting into. And on that note, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of understanding both the content you're designing and addressing the organizational creative needs uh, and just start off with a little bit of background on how you started your career and how it led you to Boys and Girls Club of America. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so I graduated, like you said, from the Art Institute of Atlanta. I actually have an associate's degree in graphic design. Um, so my background, my entire career is in graphic design for print and print production. I've always loved print design. Um, I love the touch of paper. I, I love the fold of packaging. Um, even the smell of a print shop, even though it's been a while since I've been able to be in, I also love video. Um, and I've really gotten into being able to lean into video content since the start of all things virtual. Um, so that's great. And um, today I am the National Director of Creative Services for Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And if you don't know, and just in case my boss is watching right now, Boys and Girls Clubs are the leading youth serving community outreach organization. And we offer safe places, caring mentors, educational programs, and access and opportunity to around 4.7 million kids every day um, during the after school time across the nation and on native and military bases. Um, so in my, um, so I, I don't know if I, you want me to go ahead and go into my role, um, but I'm happy to start to tell, telling you about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you, to get to your job as you got now, um, so yeah. let's talk a little bit about that transition, like getting your associate's degree and how you got to Boys and Girls Club. Yes. So I, I graduated with my associate's degree, um, and when I started out um, as a graduate, I had a little bit of good luck. I was um, currently employed part-time. I had two paid internships at the time um, of my graduation, and um, I was tracking to have a bachelor's degree, actually, um, and I discovered about halfway through my educational career that I was just a little bit pregnant. I was going to be expecting a baby. So I figured I better go ahead, check that box, um, get that degree at that time. And, um, you know, I had every intention of going back. Um, but I was very fortunate and I had really two really great internships. One was with the Atlanta Business Chronicle um, and the other was with a small local creative agency in, the, in town. And at the time they were located in Virginia Highlands. It was called Made You Look. Um, and the business owner and creative director, her name is Ruth Forestell. Um, she was just an amazing leader and creative uh, visionary. She was also an instructor at the Art Institute. And for whatever reason, she saw something in me and um, decided to hire me on full time right after graduation. Um, even if, I, even though I was just a little bit pregnant, she she was that was just an incredible opportunity. And I was, I was thrilled. And um, so I was able to jump right out of school and right into designing for an agency eight hours a day under the wing of the creative director. And so that was just, just a really great step in the right direction for me, even though I had to graduate a little bit early, earlier than expected. That's, that's so awesome. I mean, I think it goes to show, you know, 
despite your background from a master's to an associate's degree, whatever that is, uh, the power of a mentor getting into the business and how, how much that can impact your overall trajectory. So that's really awesome to hear. Yeah, it, 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 the, the mentor, her having her as a mentor, not only that, but for, you know, she became a, a, a cherished friend. She helped guide me through creative and career decisions um, for many, many years. Uh, so yeah, it was incredible. Um, after I worked, um, after I came on full-time with her agency, I then moved into uh, working for a, a print shop in town and it was nothing glamorous, um, but it was just, you know, as a print designer, it was just a great opportunity to learn the way print work, the way, the way a, a design goes from being on screen to on paper, um, you know, from Adobe to the substrate. It was, I didn't appreciate it at the time. I was just, you know, shuffle, shuffling pr designs for print, but I was really exposed to the differences in, um, you know, des design for digital, design for offset lithography. I was able to have a solid understanding of the complexities of when you create something that has a, a fancy die line to it, or multiple spot colors, how that impacted cost. Um, and th that looked a lot different from the things that I was doing in school that were just these amazing creative designs that in the real world would cost like a million dollars. And I, I got into print and realized that the real world is all about saving money. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's a really good point. I feel like um, and, you know, when you're in school, that's your time to really experiment and test and play around with concepts, of course, that might not uh, come to fruition, maybe in every type of job situation, but it gets gets you kind of exposed to thinking outside of the box. But then when you jump into that real world, like you're talking about print, especially, uh, I, I know personally, too, going through it, figuring out all the different ways that color is being used from hex, RGB, CMYK, the Pantones, how they're applied, how you have to set up the files. That just takes that experience and actually being in it to really understand how to get the product that you want. Because it, it does, it changes so much um, uh, if you use the wrong color or the you set up the file wrong. And I just think it, it is interesting that that technical aspect usually comes from the experience part. So it's, it's awesome when you jump in and something to remember uh, for anybody who's listening, maybe who is thinking about going into a job uh, in graphic design to consider that and to figure out really the inner workings and get those details right. Cause uh, design's all about the details. So very cool. Um, yeah. Okay, yep. cool. And then, and then you learn how to, yeah. And then I was just going to say, you learn how to get really creative with, with budget and you, you learn what you can do with, with cost and how you can kind of, you know, you can make something look expensive and it's not necessarily so. So yeah, it, it's good to know those little tricks. It is. It's definitely and, and uh, experimenting. And then again, going to an actual printing press, something that uh, it's not a dying industry. It just shrank uh, in terms of what it's being used for now. But there's so many applications still of how, to, how, how important it is. And there's new ways of doing it now with the digital print and all that. So definitely take a trip out there if you haven't uh, to go check it out because it really kind of is eye-opening and you can really talk with the printer too about how can you achieve certain things that you might otherwise 
um, have thought would have cost way too much or not know how to achieve. So uh, definitely appreciate that. Um, cool. So I mean, on that on that note, um, you know, you went through a transition. You had uh, multiple jobs leading up to where you're at now. Uh, when you first graduated, uh, were you expecting like Boys and Girls Club? That's where I want to land. Or like, how has your perspective kind of changed from when you you first started to to where you are now? Yeah, I um I was expecting that actually. <laughs> I really was, no, no, actually when I graduated, um, you know, and then I went into working for this agency and I was working right under the, the creative director at the time. I just, I had this vision that I was going to be working for a big brand very soon, um, you know, just doing creative stuff all day. Um, and, you know, obviously it's a process or at least it was for me. Um, and, you know, just realizing the value in um, that experience and how I was able to grow professionally rather than just kind of like jumping right in because, you know, everything that I was doing up to this point was just an opportunity to learn and grow professionally. Um, um, I also learned that, um, you know, as far as like my perspective, I, I felt like my associate's degree held me back from those big brand opportunities as well. And that in the beginning, I, I was a little disappointed that I only had that associate's degree. I didn't have a broader education. Um, and I thought that that could be something that could really hinder my ability to reach my idea of success at the time. Um, so my, I, you know, now and while the broader education is certainly a tremendous value and it can propel your career uh, faster than it did mine. Um, there is so much value in a person's experience. And while the degree is important, it's not the only thing that companies and employers are looking at and hiring managers are looking at. Um, you know, there is also a, a culture fit and, and, you know, how, how are you going to fit in with the team and, um, what are some of the things that you learn outside of school that you bring to the table? And, and that's, that's how I approach it, even as a hiring manager today. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's a, a key point. We keep hearing that over and over again, uh, almost every director, uh, personal connection, you know, it really comes down to personal connection, uh, who you are, how much of your ambition, uh, you know, a title is a title, uh, a degree is a degree. And those things obviously do help but it's all to help you understand what, where you want to go. So if you have a vision for it and you know what you can do, uh, you can achieve it by being yourself, communicating uh, like you're talking about. And I think that that's, it's just really good to hear, you know, <laughs> uh, right. it's not all about the degree uh, as important as uh, that can be, like you said, but definitely about being yourself and uh, going after it. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, on, on that note of, going after it too, like, and getting kind of a dream job like you have right now, it's not always like we talked about, you don't just like instantly get there. There's a lot of process. You learn from the field, you learn from mentors. Um, and sometimes you work with, you might be working in a, in a situation where you, you are dealing with extreme content. Uh, we talked a little bit about this specifically. I know a lot about this in my personal job with infographics and giant reports. Um, but it's, it's something that I think is really important to talk about uh, because 
there's so many needs for graphic design, especially in that. So it's not something that people like look at and say, I want to work on giant reports necessarily, but the impact that it can have is pretty big. So I'd love for you to talk to me a little bit about how, how you kind of worked a little bit in, in your field with this dense content, if you were given it or any content that you were given to really transform it into something creative and insightful. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for a while, I was working for a steel framing manufacturer called Marina Wear. Um, also not a glamorous um, big brand company, but steel is a, you know, it's a big business and Marina Wear is number three in the company. And, um, you know, in between doing these sexy photo shoots of steel frames and, and steel clips and getting ready for wall and ceiling conferences, I was handling a lot of their product guides, um, which included all of this like heavy engineering data, technical data. And I by no means was any expert, but I knew that this was important information that a builder was going to need. Um, they were going to need to be able to, you know, take in this information under this understand this information at a glance to make sure these, you know, huge buildings are able to stand up. Right. Um, so no pressure, but, <laughs> I, <laughs> but yeah, no so I, I, I was having to take, yeah, like, you know, no worries. So I was just having to take like all of this, these mathematical formulas and steel framing thicknesses and, and, uh, you know, and I was having to decide, like, what is the best way to put this information in a charted format so that at a glance, the builder can see exactly what they need. Um, um, and, um, you know, it, uh, so it, it took a lot of understanding that content. I, I mean, if you talk about dense content, that's probably about as, as dense of content that I've ever had to work with. Um, but, but even, even today, when we get in, when I'm, you know, working for Boys and Girls Clubs of America, we, you know, we're working with business reports or quarterly business um, readouts. And there's a lot of words that are handed over and, uh, you know, we have to design them. We have to polish them. Um, and, and so my first question to my design team is, is when, you know, I see a proof is, did you read this? Um, did, did you read through this? Does this make sense to you? And a, a lot of times the answer is no. <laughs> and so it's just important to just, yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, you just kind of are pushing pixels around and I know you have deadlines, but it's important to understand, uh, read your content, uh, grasp the context of your content, um, and then design with empathy, just designing with your audience in mind, even if it's, you know, board chair and business um, uh, teams, or if it's, you know, high rise builders. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, it all ties together, uh, whether you're doing a, an ad campaign or a, a brochure or a dense manual of, uh, it all needs to relate to who it's the audience is and being able to identify, you have to read it. I mean, like you're talking about, I think it is pretty surprising because I think as a designer, personally, I can relate, you, you kind of get into a rhythm of creating and how you create and lay out. And, and that is a, a, obviously an important part, but you can't subtract the actual content part of it. And it can be so easy, especially when looking at something like a, a 30 page document to say, well, I'll just format it and then that's fine. But 
to make it connect like you're talking about for storytelling purposes. And uh, it's just as important as that ad campaign, if not more for the people that are using it. And it's something that I think designers should definitely um, to look a little differently at and not take it as, uh, this is just a, putting a document together, but it's another form of storytelling. And it's important to, to learn what you're, you're uh, designing for. Uh, sounds obvious, but definitely what you're saying, it makes sense. Yeah, and, and with boys and girls clubs, we're um, oftentimes developing these program curricula documents. And just to that point, we, we were creating all of these large publications, these educational materials for clubhouses. And you know, the story there is that these are educational programs that club staff are implementing and executing in the clubhouse. And those staff members are, you know, usually between 18 and 24. They're, you know, they're trying to rush to get ready. There's kids coming in, it's wild, it's crazy. And so they need to be able to see and understand what's the content out of these program curricula that they need to, you know grasp first and pick and choose on the fly. And um, when we were dealing with a lot of these different program materials coming from different departments, they would be written in different ways, they would be set up in different ways, there would be different priorities based on the budget amounts. Um, and so we really had to kind of get in front of that, recognizing and designing with empathy the end user. Um, and so we, we created zones for the the information and so no matter what program it was no matter what educational material it was in these certain zones club staff would know they could find this information um, they could find how many kids needed to participate what the age group is and then just go so you know if when you design with empathy and you're kind of like thinking ahead you just have to manipulate all the content so that it works for the end user yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you talked to some of the end users too about their uh, issues. Like, I don't understand the, the documents before. And then that helps you address probably the needs. And it's a form of, it is branding. I mean, it's helping create uh, the content in a way that's easily understandable. I mean, that's like our job as graphic designers for communication. Uh, and it's not just it make it look pretty. It's really focused on uh, how, how are you going to use this and so that people can understand it better. And yeah, I just think it, I, I find it fascinating. Uh, those are the crazy challenges to me taking on like, how, how do you translate something into a process that can be branded, look good, also get the, the point across and is like a lot of information at once. So, I mean, yeah, kudos to that. And that's, again, goes to your process skills. Uh, and being able to, to brand that and set that up. So very cool. Um, yeah, on that quick last note in this section, before we get to the next one, um, I obviously now you're director. So how did you transition a little bit from doing that kind of work to directing that kind of work? Yeah, um, so transitioning, I think sometimes I'm still transitioning because <laughs> you know you love design. Um, sure. But at, at a point, you know, as your career grows and you um, begin to move up, um, building teams, um, you have to recognize. I have to. Re I had to recognize that I couldn't. I couldn't do it all. Um, I couldn't do everything, and um, which meant I had to really, really learn how to 
delegate and delegate appropriately. And that's not necessarily an easy thing for leaders. Um, and it's definitely a learned, um, you know, a learned process. Um, yeah, so I think I think the best way to to be able to focus on driving your team. First of all, you're building your team, you're building trust with your team, um, but just learning when you you ought to be able to delegate something that's not mission critical for you to do so that you can focus more on the big picture. Um, and in order to be able to do it, I know, first of all, you have to be okay with losing control. I, um, you know, am not a micromanager by default, so that's okay. But um, then there's also uh, being, you know, a lot of times you can, you, you say, oh, well, it's just faster for me to do it myself. It'll just be faster for me to do it than it will be to hand it over. And so, you know, to delegate, you have to build in the time to, you know, teach and guide the person that you're delegating to so that they could pick it up the next time. Um, and I think that that's the biggest challenge with a lot of leaders. I know that it's a, it, it was a challenge for me. Certainly, uh, I can relate to that. Um, I mean, uh, from the growing pain of from doing something to figuring out how to now delegate that and then uh, that kind of struggle that internal struggle of will be faster for me, I think is a common uh, quick reaction. Um, but it's, it's like planting a seed. It, and then when it grows, then you have your own tree, it can it can manage itself in a way. Uh, but it takes a little bit of time to get it started. So that's something just part of the process and that's what directing is all about. So yeah, it's cool to hear. And it's also nice to hear too, like you never fully let go in a way, you know, there's always something you wanna put your, your hands on because that's the creative in, in us. Uh, but yeah, figuring out that that balance is, is what, what it's all about, so. Right. Very cool. All right, cool. So let's, uh, let's move into the next section, uh, a little bit about taking some risks in design. So we know where you started and how it impacted your career choices. So let's dive in a little to the process. So we know design comes in many forms and requires designers to do more than make something look pretty. Uh, I'd love for you to expand a little more on some of the ways that you make sure creative has a seat at the table and isn't looked at as an afterthought. So on that note, could you tell us a little bit about how you enforce conceptual design over execution and how you, you work with your team on that. Being a creative director for a creative services department, um, when I first came on, this was, this was somewhat of a challenge um, because we are providing a service uh, to teams and we have to move so quickly. You know, we are, you know, processing through around 500 projects a year, five to 600 projects a year. So. It, you know, it's easy to get caught up into the vision that the client has, and they might be very, very prescriptive and say they want this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. um, or it could be the client that doesn't really um, know what they want until they see what they don't want. Um, and, you know, in those cases, it's just a reminder that the creatives, the graphic designers, the people that are on the creative team, um, this is your profession. And so you're here to provide not only a service of execution, but your professional expertise, your recommendations, your feedback, you have a voice and it's so, so important, um, you know, because the, the client's not always going to see things 
uh, they might be just seeing things from one perspective, but it might not make sense on paper or in a design. And that's when um, that's when the revisions start to pile up. When you're just base basing your your design off of what the client spe is specifying, that's when the revisions start to pile up, and that's when it begins to feel like creative doesn't have a seat at the table. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 it really started out with just seeing this happen over and over again, um, and the creative team were just being drugged into these revisions where it was just taking up so much of our time, um, and um, and a, and you, we don't have a whole lot of time for all of these revisions. So it's just reminding them that you guys are the professionals here. You know, this is why we make the big bucks. Right. This is what we do. We are, we are here. Yes, we're providing a service, but we are, um, we are the professionals. We have a, the creative eye, and we, you know, we can see things differently and offer recommendations. Yeah, I feel like it relates a little bit to what we were talking about earlier with like a dense content or something. It's like, oh, just put all this content in there. That's what I want. But if you read through it, you can provide those insights like you're talking about and say, you know, I know you want it all like this on one page. It'd be much better on two pages, showing them, leading them through that process rather than just giving them what they want. I mean, uh, on that note too, of what you're saying with um, uh, design and execution, it's, it's more, more important that you um, are leading with the empathy, like you said, and making sure that, uh, what you're bringing to the table is your skill uh, and to showcase your skill uh, by giving them insights and not just whatever they say goes. They, they're looking for that and they don't always know that they can't because that's not their profession. So it's just important, I think, what you're saying uh, to make sure you lead that way and uh, make sure you're, you're really creating something that gets to the heart of the matter. Uh-oh, did we lose you? Yeah. Cool. I, are you there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I the camera was a little. <laughs> yeah, I dropped off for a second. That was that was terrible. I'm so sorry. There's oh, no something going on with me. Sorry about that. I think we got you back. All right, cool. Um, so yeah, I guess on that note, yeah, enforcing the conceptual, not just giving the client word for word what they ask making sure to digest information um how do you how do you encourage your creative team to lead the client into new ideas so is it bringing them to the table and having them do presentations are they setting up presentations what what are some of the things that you do that way well um you know i'm often the first line of defense in projects that come through i get um, a high level overview and understanding of the project and then once assignments are made i really encourage the creative team to um, create uh, deep connections and relationships with with the client uh, so that they're working very close together um, they're able to communicate you know with each other freely um, and, you know, aside from that, I, I just encourage asking thoughtful questions, um, you know, making sure that you're asking thoughtful questions. And if, if you see something differently, just speaking up, have you thought about it like this? Um, and so that it's more of a collaboration. Um, 
Yeah, so I find when the when the designer is has a seat at the table and they're able to interject, um, then it's a much more collaborative process and, and there are a lot fewer revisions and back and forth. Yeah, which again, it might seem up front like more time to describe what you're doing instead of just sending it to them, but taking that empathy approach and knowing that they don't know where you're coming from necessarily building that that creates that um trust and and builds trust with the client and they they allow you i guess to take a little bit more liberties because they, they trust in what you're doing yeah they're also the good guys i'm you know at the front i'm 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 the bad guys i'm asking what the, you know what the budget is and can we spend more and um you know i'm extending the deadlines good, <laughs> they play good, good cop, bad cop. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, it works well. I mean, that, that's, that's, important. that's another part of it as a, I guess, as a director, you know, having to take those harder stances, but then standing up for your team, right? Like, so, you know, not saying, well, just get it done, because that's what the client says. It's, uh, it's nice that you're there for your team. So, very cool. Um, quick question on uh, creative. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, and then. Uh-oh. We'll get a sec, just a little bit of internet. All right, there we go. Is that me again? Okay. Just go figure. I have great, I'll have great internet connection until I'm on live with AIGA. <laughs> it's just yeah. a course. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it be like this? <laughs> <laughs> if it, um, if, if you need to and you feel like it's a trouble, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, I, uh, I live, you know, I, I live in Jackson, Georgia. I don't know if you guys know where that is, but it's about halfway between Atlanta and Macon. Um, and so I'm kind of out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so I appreciate your patience. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons why I was so adamant about, um, uh, you know, creating a, a, a work from home policy and a schedule, too. So. But no matter how far it benefits to working remotely or having either a flex schedule and be able to do that, um, I think that's a huge benefit for everybody. Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't express how much time I was given back just from driving. Uh, it's been fantastic in that sense. I think that the transition is really, it helps designers too, because I don't think uh, from a creative perspective, creative ideas don't just come within a certain hour right so like you can have a, a spark of imagination later in the day and you'll be able to work on it then so it's a, it gives you the flexibility back i think is really important absolutely yeah and i can jump off go pick up my daughter be back in 10 minutes um mm -hmm. you know and 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 get right back into it so yeah I think we all know by now. Yeah. I was trying to convince some years ago before this was a thing, and um, it was really, really tough to to to, to get everybody to understand. Uh, you know, the higher ups to understand um, this this could be a great thing, and it is. <laughs> so. It really is. It really is. I mean, it, it's quality of life has improved in that sense a lot. So it's fantastic. Um, okay, let's jump to the third section. Uh, we only got a little bit more time here, so. 
uh, talk a little bit about the creative operations. We talked about process. So um, let's see, what have you, uh, you've done a lot to improve the operations and the creative services in your current role. It's always a challenge when you're starting a new job, getting into the swing of things. It can be even more challenging when the processes themselves need updating uh, and you're trying to work within such a large framework. So it's, I think, a struggle that a lot of us uh, have seen if you're working in larger companies and an important one to highlight. So what is it, uh, why is this important to running an in-house creative service department and how did you go about implementing the right solution at uh, Boys and Girls Club of America? When I first started at Boys and Girls Clubs of America, um, the team was about twice the size that it is now and they were processing through around on 300 projects a year. Um, and I came on as a new uh, creative director. Um, and at that time, the, the process was requests were implemented or put into creative services through a paper form that people had to fill out and either scan in or walk it to the creative department and hand it to somebody. Um, and that was going that was working fine i think that you know the creative department had been operating like that for about 15 years um by then and and it was it was it was okay it was working fine um but i would once that once that paper was handed over to the graphic designer or the assignment was handed off i lost total track of it i you know wouldn't i wouldn't know where it was or what dependencies were, you know, happening, what the, who was part of the project. So there was really this kind of like closed off or siloed feeling. And then it would be that the team was working hours all, um, into the night, sometimes overnight, just to meet deadlines and get things done. Um, and, you know, that's how they had been working for years. But still, even though that this was the way they were doing it, the client would be just perpetually frustrated. The designer would be frustrated. Um, and, and then I didn't know how to fix it because I couldn't see what was going on. I couldn't you know, make recommendations. And then clients, team members, people across the organization would be continuously asking me, Brandy, what is, so, so you know, what's the status? Well, if you don't know, what's the process? Well, what's the process? And I, what's the process? And I couldn't answer the question. Um, so I knew that immediately the first step was to bring our project request system into the modern age and we, we had to get a digital system in. Um, and so that was the first step. The second step was I knew that with that number of projects that were coming through the department, I could not both, you know, project manage and creative direct. Um, at the same time, I, I would not be able to do both. Um, so I knew that the next step would be to bring on a uh, project manager. And then the last thing was to help the organization do things autonomously when possible. So a lot of time our designers were being disrupted, you know, for favors like, oh, can you, can you quick, can I just get a quick image or can you send me a logo real quick? Or is there any way you can just take a quick look at this? Um, and so they would just be interrupted by these like quick little things that only the creative department had access to or only the creative department could do. Um, and so the third thing what, that I knew we had to do was we had to implement a digital asset management system 
we had to get a system up that allowed the organization to download business materials and logos and photos and even B-roll um, when it was needed without having to put in a job request, without having to, you know, interrupt the design process. That's a, that's a big one. I mean, I think it's amazing that um, it, those little requests, they seem so small, but they take so much time. And it's like, you don't really think about it, especially it's just a five minutes, right? Five, it's like five minutes for me to eventually send that email, but then finding it, talking to you about what you needed to get, it could go all the way to 10, 15 minutes. And then you kind of off track of what you were doing and getting back on track is another 10 minutes. And that just adds up over time. So, I mean, yeah, that, so that's really smart. So like you, you found three key components to the process that you could improve and then tweak those to, to establish what you got now. And I mean, you said you went from, there was 300 projects and now you're doing over 500. So I think that alone talks to how, how the efficiency has improved. Yeah, and I mean, we're so much more efficient now. We, we operate like a machine. Um, and, um, and, and I've been in this kind of like BGCA bubble uh, for the past five years. And so I don't know what, because and I know how difficult it was for me to convince the organization that this was really important to the creative team. Um, this was something that was absolutely necessary for, for our success, for us to be set up for success. And so, you know, I don't know if, if you know, organizations or, or team members are putting in um, or prioritizing operations as part of their creative processes, um, but it's something that I definitely feel very passionate about. Because it wasn't something that I saw before I started working at um, boys and girls clubs. This was this was an area that absolutely needed it. Yeah, I think that just goes to show how a design solution isn't just applied to creating a graphic. It's all the way up to the process that you guys are doing the creative for. And especially from a director's perspective, that's one of the most important goals is to make sure all of the processes run smoothly. And it's not really something you look at when you're going to school as, oh yeah, can't wait to set up processes when I'm the creative director. But uh, at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is. I mean, you gotta be able to manage those things um, and of course apply uh, creative direction to designers, but yeah, it's just a lot more nuanced than, you, than it seems in the title. There's a lot of uh, hats you're always wearing, right? That's right. Yeah. And I've always been, you know, generally organized. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, I need a project manager to help me. <laughs> so I always, I'm like, I need those people to help me for sure. Yeah. It's more than a one person job. I mean, it's a team. So, uh, it makes sense. So, uh, I'll ask this last question in the section here is, uh, and you kind of touched on it, but, uh, how has this made boys and girls at club of America, the most creatively rewarding and challenging of your career? Yes. Yeah, so on the creatively rewarding portion of it, uh, first of all, boys and girls clubs has an incredible mission and, um, and, they, this, this is a team of some of the most talented and passionate people that I've ever had the opportunity to work with. Um, that is one thing. Um, the, the mission itself, it, it just gets you fired up and excited about um, doing the work for sure, because it has a greater impact. Um, and then secondly, 
because there's so much work to do, there's so many things that are going on. There was always just new opportunities. It seemed like every day there was just an opportunity to, to lean into something new and cool and exciting. Um, if it was, you know, creating a video PSA with the brand team or working on a social strategy with the IDM team, or if it was visiting a clubhouse and getting feedback from the, from the field on how programs were working, um, there was just always something great going on. And being a nonprofit, getting to work with some of the, the bigger brand partners was incredible. Um, our partnerships, they're so much fun and they're so invested. Um, and then we also have celebrity partnerships. Um, so, you know, every so often you might get to meet somebody cool and, it, and you know, famous. <laughs> Even though I will I'll just share, um, famous people scare me a little bit. Celebrities scare me. Uh, I was... I was, I'm just shy of them. Um, I was sitting right next to Denzel backstage at one event and I was just like, here's Denzel. <laughs> so, you know, I was kind of. <laughs> nervousness yeah, so it's, for it's, everybody. Yeah. It is not, even at a creative director level, there's still nervousness. Uh, it's, it's a natural thing. It makes sense. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a mega introvert. So um, yes, <laughs> that's kind of my default. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing. Uh, really cool that you got to experience all these different avenues of design through Boys and Girls Club of America. And, you know, those big challenges are, are exciting to work on because you, as much as it's a big challenge, you, when you go through it and you can see such an impact like you've made, uh, I mean, it's got to be really rewarding. It, it feels, it's got to feel good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And and the challenge, I'll, I'll just touch on the challenge really quick. Um, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, and this is a wonderful thing about working for this organization. Um, they are, they so much empower, just like they empower kids and teens in their clubhouses and um, just promote um, opportunities and access for kids, this is an organization that um, encourages and empowers people to come in to take on leadership roles and to make um, and make it them and um, and and to I think that they challenged me every day in my leadership skills. Um, being with my team has been such a wonderful challenge and challenge isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. And I think um, being challenged, especially every day is leads to just so much satisfaction in, in, in your job from day to day. I agree with that. Um, better to be busy than not busy. Uh, and then also amazing to be able to tackle some of these big challenges in such a big corporation and see that impact, especially uh, working for something, uh, someone like Boys and Girls Club of America, where the purpose is so strong. So that's really awesome. Um, okay, awesome. So we're getting to the end. We're, we're right at the end here. So I had one question from uh, Josh Greathouse, and I wanted to ask that first. Uh, what are some of the new trends you think designers should look at, especially with the challenging times that we're in? Yeah, so I think uh, I think when we're looking at trends and you know it changes every every year, every it seems like it's always change, uh, changing. 
it's interesting because um, you know we're getting ready to go back into the office, um, and so what we're looking at is this creating hybrid, um, looking you know designing for print and designing for digital, um, and and just being aware of you know when we're creating something, how is it going to translate through um, you know the computer screen and also to that person on the inside um, or in person. Um, yeah, so I think I think as far as like that, that's one of the biggest challenges for us is when we're we're thinking about trends. Um, you know, on design trends, I think my my creative team would laugh at me because there's certain things that always appeal to me, and um, I'm in a the trend. I'm in a season right now of um, gradients. Um, I absolutely am. I'm loving to see these these really cool and interesting gradients. Um, that's, that's just something my personal thing, but what I'd really like for our team to get into is this moving design, um, and having an understanding of, you know, how that works and how we can start implementing from the static design to this more interactive and engaging kind of like 3d that's constantly moving. Have you seen I have, this? I have seen some of this. I have a lot from multiple avenues. I mean, from like websites to. Uh, applications. I'm guessing that's what you're talking about, giving a little bit more motion to what, what otherwise might be static. That's right. Yep. Very cool. All right. Good, good trends. I know we're over time, but I want to ask one more question and then we can end it there. Uh, I think it's a good one. I wanted to see what is some advice you would give a person looking for a job right now? Uh, if you're looking for a job right now, and, and I mean, Amy is sharing excellent information every month. Um, I recommend if you don't already have one, um, get yourself a mentor or a coach. Um, even if you're a seasoned professional and you don't already have one, um, reach out and find somebody that can mentor you. Um, you know, for new and emerging professionals, uh, a mentor can be incredible as it was for me. Um, you know, get involved in some of these mentorship programs like AIGA Rise Up. Um, and, you know, if you're a new and emerging professional, I know that it's a little bit harder um, potentially to, to, to get those positions. But I, I'd say just to make sure you have a vision in place for where you want, what you want, um, and just you know, write out the steps and then just go for it. Don't look at a job opportunity that just looks so cool on paper and say, oh no, I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to do that because of X, Y, Z. Um, because, you know, you know, ask yourself why you think that and then recalibrate the interview, do your research, 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 know everything before you go in, have thoughtful questions. And then the last thing, and especially for new and emerging uh, professionals, if you um, get an offer, you can negotiate, negotiate. They're not going to um, take back an offer because you ask for a little more, bit more money. Um, and even if money's not on the table, there are other things that you can negotiate to, to get where you want. I think that's a really powerful statement. That's, that, uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Negotiate, consider your needs, go after what you want. So I think that's fantastic. Um, and with that, I think a perfect ending to our discussion. So I just want to say thank you again so much, Brandy. It's been fantastic. And we look forward to talking to you more. 
Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining. We'll have another one next uh, next month, the first Wednesday of the month, uh, and we'll be sending out all that information coming up soon. So thank you again so much and look forward to seeing you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.